0: morning again uh, to those on site and those online. And uh, I just want to extend an apology to uh, if you're in junior high this morning. How many of you guys are in junior high and you're here? We got a few. Okay. I'm sorry that you have to listen to me. Uh, I'm not nearly as cool or fun as Colton, but he'll be back next week. And so uh, junior high conversations, we've been going to uh, Trinity School and their auxiliary gym during our services, which has been uh, awesome. We're Excited about the partnership with uh, Trinity that will continue next week, uh, but due to all of our leaders uh, and uh, many of our youth being gone this weekend at SABC, uh, you're stuck with me for this morning, but uh, come back. It'll get better. Uh, okay, so we are continuing our series reunion, uh, The Good News of Jesus for Seekers, Saints, and Sinners. Uh, and we're into week five, and this is a quite a long series, but it, in, in church we often talk about the gospel, which means the good news. And and sometimes we talk about it just as a catch-all that means a whole bunch of things. And do we ever really consider what that thing is, what that really means when we talk about the good news of Jesus? And and many of us have different ideas of what that is. And so we've taken a little bit of a deep dive here into exploring what we're talking about when we talk about the good news of Jesus. It's very simple on one hand. It's simple enough for children to understand, but it's very complex on the other hand. Uh, and theologians uh, and people have been studying this good news uh, for all of history. Uh, and so uh, we started very simply, the, the gospel in one word. Who can remember what the gospel in one word was? All right, that's good. Uh, and then we went to the gospel in three words, which includes the gospel in one word, but it's, it's beyond that. And what was that? Jesus, Lord. Okay, great job. You guys pass. Give yourselves a round of applause. Yes. Yes we got somebody who's excited about passing. Um, this is worth getting excited about. Now we're looking at the, the gospel in 30 words. And so we broke down, we started breaking down those 30 words last week, uh, which is, Jesus is God with us. Come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so that we can share in God's life. Now, uh, we didn't come up with this. This Again, this is from Bruxy Cavey in the Meeting House. Uh, who has uh, shared this material with us and said that we can use it. And, and, and Bruxy talks about uh, how this isn't just a phrase to recite, but it's more of a categories to think back on and reflect on as you ponder the gospel or as you're talking to people. Maybe people have questions about, you know, what is Christianity about? What is the good news all about? And, and these can kind of act as a framework for discussion points. Uh, and the gospel uh, corresponds uh, with every human need. And so we use Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. We've talked about that a few times. We'll keep referring to it. Uh, and, and Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which is taught in psychology, is not the end-all and be-all. It's, uh, it's not perfect, but it just gives us a picture of our basic human needs and what God does in response to the needs uh, that we have and, uh, and who he is and who we are. Uh, and so we just walked through that very quickly uh, last week uh, and how uh, those, the Gospel in 30 Words kind of correlates to our hierarchy of needs. And so we start with the ground of the gospel, which is Jesus, a God with us. And that's where we jumped into last week, that Jesus is God, he's Emmanuel. We often talk about that at Christmas, but it's, a, it's the ground of the whole gospel truth. It's based on that reality that God came from heaven to earth, that he put flesh on, that he became incarnate, that he made his home among us, that God has pursued us, that he's initiated And that is important, because that's the difference between religion and relationship. If God had relationship, he came to us and shut down the religious system of us trying to get to God. So that's the ground of the gospel, that Jesus is God, uh, with flesh on, come to us. And now we're looking at the gifts of the gospel, uh, the things uh, that Jesus does for us that we can't do for ourselves. And so we're going to look at the first gift of the gospel this morning, that Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love. Now, A.W. Tozer, who's much smarter than me, uh, said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. No people has ever risen above its religion, and no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. I'd be curious if I could just you know, open up your brain and look inside uh, what I would find in there in terms of your ideas about God. When you think about God, what is it that you think of? You know, many people have all sorts of different ideas about, about God. And Tozer is saying that that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And then if you're a person of faith, you will never rise above or beyond your idea and your concept of God. And your concept of God is going to influence the way that you Uh, relate to God, you worship God, it's going to influence the way you relate to others, and it's going to influence the way that you uh, work and function in this world. So what we think about God matters. And the gospel in three words, as we just said, was Jesus is Lord. Those are uh, three words that summarize the gospel in a very simple form. And because of those three words, we can be confident of another set of three words, uh, which I think are some of the most beautiful words ever written in any language and those words were written by the Apostle John and those three words are God is love. God is love. John makes a statement twice in 1 John chapter 4 and this is huge. This is a statement about God's essence. There are only a couple of times in all of scripture where a statement of God's essence is made and they're all made by John and he makes three of them. He says God is Spirit in John chapter four. God is light in First John chapter one. And God is love. And he says that twice in First John chapter four. God's essence is love. And to say he's Spirit, to say he's light, does not take away from him being love. All those things can be true. They're not mutually exclusive. They're not contradictory. Uh, but God's essence is Spirit. God's essence is light. God's essence is love. And I want to focus on his essence. God being love. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, where he talks about this this morning. So he begins by saying, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves God is a child of God and knows God. There's a lot of love going on in 1 John. Uh, In fact, people have tried to, when they try and memorize like a book of the Bible, they think, you know, John's pretty simple. And so they often go to the book of 1 John. I'm going to memorize the book of 1 John. But people who try and memorize, John, have a really, really hard time with it because it's kind of like saying the same thing in a whole bunch of different ways over and over and over again for, for a few chapters. Uh, and so love, uh, I don't know how many times it comes up in John, but it's, you know, every sentence you you encounter this word love. Uh, and so when John says, dear friends, uh, this translation, uh, which we're using the New Living Translation, uh, which is great, but it, it kind of misses something here. Uh, the word friends, friends, uh, is actually translated, in most translations, and it's a better translation, as beloved. Dear beloved. And it's different, because friends and beloved are different kind of concepts. And there's three primary Greek ideas for love. Phileo, eros, and agape. Now, phileo love is friendship love. And and John is not saying dear phileo. He's not saying uh, dear friends. Uh... He's not saying, dear eros, which is where we get the word erotic from, uh, so that we, he's not speaking to us in that way either, we can be sure of that. But what he's saying is, dear Agape, those who are Agape love. Now, what, what, what does Agape love mean? Every time you, you read love in 1 John, it's the Greek word agape, and agape is a covenantal, unchanging kind of love, a love that's not dependent on how you feel, in any given circumstance, it's beyond feelings. It's beyond circumstances. It's it's covenantal. And when I when I use the word covenantal, uh, you know, it's a kind of a very churchy word. But but let me just give a little bit of background really quickly. Um, God has always been a God of covenant. He's invited people to himself to enter into covenant with him, which is a which is a special, unique kind of relationship. And there's a commitment in that kind of relationship. And and often we. Uh, you know, you guys are familiar with marriage vows. That's a form of covenant. And God made a vow. God made a commitment to us. And it began all the way at the beginning of Scripture. And God re-covenants multiple times throughout Scripture to his people, to God's people. Um, but we see an example of this in Genesis 15, this, uh, which is referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. Because God is making a covenant with Abraham and with uh, Abraham's descendants who are, who are going to be God's people. And so at the time, the way you would make a covenant, uh, that you would make a deal with other humans uh, in that era. And so what you would do is you go and get, you'd go to the farm and you'd get some animals. Uh, I know this seems really weird to us now, but just bear with me for a second. So you go get some animals. Let's say you get a cow, you get a sheep, uh, you know, and you, you cut them in half and you make a, you make a pathway. Um, you know, Half of a cow here and the other half there. Half a sheep here and the other half here. You take these animals, you cut them in half, and you make a pathway. And then you would go with the person that you're covenanting with. You know, whatever commitment you're making to one another. This was like a a deep commitment, right? Similar to the vows that we make. Um, You know, maybe we should consider doing this at weddings. And so, what you you would do uh, is you would, you know, walk with that person through the middle of these animals that were sliced in half. And you would say together, May what happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. Anybody want to do that at their wedding? Now, from out moment, That's a good idea, right? So, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. And, and so in, Abra- in Genesis 15, God wants to make a covenant with Abraham. So he tells Abraham, go get these animals. Go cut them in half, go prepare them, set out the pathway. I want to make a covenant with you. Uh, and Ad- or Abraham wakes up, and he sees the presence of God uh, with, a, with a torch and a, and a pot, and a, the, the Spirit of God is actually moving through these animals, except it's missing something, it's missing someone, and it's missing Abraham. The very beginning of the biblical story, God makes this covenant with people, without people in the mix. And what is is that communicating? It's communicating that God's initiating a covenant, He's making a covenant, and if we break that covenant... Abraham is not going to pay for it himself, but God Himself will pay for it. Not if God breaks the covenant. If Abraham even breaks the covenant, that God is saying, "May I become like one of these animals?" That this covenant is broken, and Abraham doesn't walk through them. So this is a powerful picture that we see at the beginning of the biblical story about uh, this type of agape love, this this God love that is beyond even our own response, beyond how we feel, beyond circumstances, that, that is deeper than friendship, it's agape. It's not phileo, it's agape. And so, so John begins by saying, dear those who are agape, those, dear, those who are loved by God, on this deep level, let's continue to agape one another, for agape comes from God. Anyone who uh, agape is a child of God and knows God. And then he continues, he says, but anyone who does not love God does not know God. And here we see the three words, for God is love. Everybody say, God is love. God is love. God is love. Now, in some ways, these words are, uh, they just feel like we just rattle them off like it's no big deal. These are the most profound words. They change everything. Uh, and, and sometimes we take it for granted but at other times, I've heard, I've heard pastors, I've heard people say, Christians say, well, God is love is true. That is true. Uh, but you have to balance it out with everything else, all of other God's attributes as well. He's not just love. God may be love, uh, but God is also holy. God is sovereign. God is wrathful. God is loving. God is righteous. He's a, he's a whole bunch of things. Love is one aspect of who God is. And, and I've had this conversation with a number of people Um, but this is actually wrongful thinking, and I want to show you why. So we're going to do a little bit of a thought experiment here. Um, Can you love someone if there is no someone? Love by nature of the word is a relational word, yes? You cannot love unless there's something or someone to love. It needs others to actually be loved. Now stay with me here for a minute. So if you go all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story in Genesis chapter 1... God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Next verse says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So pay attention to what's happening here. First chapter of your Bible. God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, so God created human beings in his own image. The first text speaks to a plurality. It speaks to multiple persons. God is multiple persons. And the next text reverts back to referring to God in singular, so God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them. So this is terrible, terrible grammar. You would get a fail in school if you wrote it like this, Uh, but it's beautiful and powerful theology. God is the us who is he. God is the singular who is love, who is persons in relationships. We were created by relationship for relationship. And what is this referring to? Well, uh, this, this refers to a, a concept that uh, we talk about in church circles and theology called the Trinity, that God is, is multiple persons in one, that God is three persons in one. They're each distinct persons, but they're all part of one. God is the us, but also to him. God is the plural, but also the singular. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, back to this thought experiment. So, God is... Let's take holy for example. If we think back to the uh, very beginning of creation, before anything was created, before anything or anyone was created, whatever is the essence or substance of God must have existed before creation. Yes? Okay, God is eternal. God was there before the beginning, before anything. Uh, Whatever he was was there in the very beginning before anything else was created. Now let's do a thought experiment and look at these these different qualities that we often refer to and say uh, to balance out God's character. We can test these qualities to see if they're on par with love by looking at the very beginning and imagining God at the very beginning. So imagine God at the very beginning. Let's take the word wrath. Is God's essence wrath? Long before anything or anyone else was created, we had the Trinity, and the Trinity uh, are in perfect unison and love with one another, and there was no wrath between them. There was no anger. They were never mad at each other. So wrath isn't God's essence. Wrath is a result of, uh, of creation, of, uh, of having other things outside of himself. So we'll come back to that in a sec. Is God's sovereignty? Think back to the very beginning. Well, God is sovereign, yes, but he's sovereign over in relation to creation. In the Trinity, they were never ruling over one another. There's actual mutual submission between the three persons, and we see that in Scripture. Is God holiness? Well, again, holiness, by definition, is to be set apart. So, set apart means to be unlike what is common. And what could God be set apart from before there was anything created? By the very definition of holiness, something else has to exist before God becomes holy. So God is holy now, of course, and forever will be because he is created, but holiness does not define God's DNA. God is, his essence is not holiness. He is holy because of that which he's created. Yes? Am I making sense? So, God's essence in the very beginning is relational. We can say God is love because before there was anything, there was love. Before there was anything, there was God's plurality, God's trinity, God's in relationship and loving one another. So we could say that God is holy love. That's his essence. That is who he is. But his expressions all come out of that essence. God's essence is love. And this does not make sense without the trinity. And we see that from the very beginning. Otherwise, God is potentially loving until he creates someone and then is actually loving. And God's not potentially loving, God is love. Every experience of holiness, every experience of sovereignty, of mercy, of justice, of wrath, all of these are expressions of God's essence, but they are not God's essence. So when God disciplines us, it's out of his love, because that is who he is. So let's go back to the first John text. God showed how much He loved us by sending us His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so we, we talked about this at, at length last week, the sending, that God initiates, that God showed us how much He loves us by initiating, by sending His Son to this world into the world into the dirt into the muck into the when, when, when the word world is used it means all the systems of the world all the material realities of the world all the pain of the world God experienced it all in the person of Jesus uh, this is profound and this is life changing and I was I was at Centennial High School last week and I can talk about high school kids because they're not here this weekend can we make a pact that this doesn't leave this room <laughs> Okay, don't don't tell them this, but I was I was just walking. I was in the gym. Um, basketball season was about to start, and and there's all these kids coming in and out of the gym, and and I see uh, I see these kids walking like this. I'm like, that is a strange way to walk. I'm like, what's going on? And I, I talked to uh, to Brent Johansson, who's the uh, gym teacher there, and uh, goes to SunWest. I said, hey, and and he says, you know what's happening here? I'm like, no. He says they don't want to scuff up their new white shoes and they don't want to create creases in their shoes. (laughs) No word of a lie. They walk like this because they don't want to create creases or get them dirty. I think they should buy some black shoes personally just to help themselves out. But isn't that wild? They don't want to dirty their shoes. They don't want to get the creases in their shoes. You know, they're they're, they're so concerned about their fit, about uh, what they look like. Uh, sorry, if you don't know where the word "fit" apparently it's your wardrobe, uh, and so they're so concerned about their fit that they will just look ridiculous trying to keep it clean. You know, I I think often we have this picture like that of God, like God doesn't, you know, he's so holy, he's so separate, he's so clean, he's so other than he doesn't want to get, you know, his. His hands dirty, his clothes dirty. This this is the exact opposite picture of God that we see in the New Testament revealed in Jesus that God took on flesh, became dirty. God sent his son into the world to get dirty, to be crucified, to be made a mess of. And in that, we see what love looks like. See what love looks like. This is uh, this is echoed when uh, in Romans when when Paul writes this, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The the demonstration of God's love is, is demonstrated. Is that past tense or present tense? You guys don't want? I don't want to. You think it's a trick question? It's present tense. It's not a trick question. Uh, God demonstrates His love for this. It's present tense. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is that past tense or present tense? Okay, there you go. Uh, now you're tracking. So, uh, so, so check this out. There, that there's, some, there's an event that happened in the past. It's already done, but that event continues to be a demonstration of the love of God. You know, Paul wrote this uh, years, decades after the event of the crucifixion happened, uh, but even 2,000 years Later, we can look back at that event and say that is the clearest picture of love, of agape. We can go back to the past and know in the present with certainty that God loves us because he demonstrated that love for us in the person of Jesus. And so we, we look at, uh, back to the first John text, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son. Now, one and only Uh, This this comes from the Greek word monogenes, which is mono, means the only, and genus is a type of category. It's where we get the word genes from. Uh, It's saying that basically Jesus is the one of a kind. Jesus is one of a kind. There's no one like him. He's been the only one in history to be like him. Jesus is God with flesh on. Yes, he's fully human, but he's also fully God. He's one of a kind. He's God's one and only son. Some translations say he, the, the uh, only begotten son, which is translated in the same word. We, we hear that word in, in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only, his only begotten son, this one of a kind person of Jesus. He sent his son, into the world so we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Sent his sons as a sacrifice to take away sins. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 15. God makes the the covenant with Abraham and says, if you don't fulfill your covenant, who's going to pay for this? Well, Abraham doesn't pay for it because Abraham didn't walk through it. God walks through it on his own and says, if, if you fail to live up to your end of this relationship, if you can't hold a commitment with me, I will pay for this myself. And we see this agape, covenantal God, all the way at the beginning of history, who initiates, who creates a love commitment with his people because he is love, now is willing to even pay the price and the penalty for that love, even if we don't hold up our end of the commitment. But Jesus is God's only begotten, one-of-a-kind son who comes to fulfill the covenant that he started with us all the way at the beginning. And this demonstrates God's level of love for us and who he is. John goes on, he says, Dear friends, dear beloved, dear those who are agape by God, since God... Agape us, loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. You know, this is not the logical thought process. You know, if we were, if we were just to fill in the blanks what we would assume that John would say without reading it, we would probably say, "Since God, so, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love God back. That's probably how we would fill in the blank. God loved us, so surely we ought to love God back. But the gospel, we see this gospel principle, this good news principle over and over again in the New Testament. Our love for God is expressed in our love for one another. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he answered not with giving one commandment, but two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, because these two commandments cannot be disconnected they are connected we love god by loving one another now I, I don't know about you but i feel like we we live maybe it maybe there was other times in history i'm sure there was uh, that this happened uh, well i know there was uh, but we see it more uniquely right now than maybe we have uh, in a few years past where people profess a love for god uh, but they don't love one another. And first John really challenges us that we can't profess to love God and not love one another. It's an inconsistency. It's incompatible. To love God is actually to love one another. And let's remember that this word is agape. It's not phileo. It's not, you know, you can love God and you can love other people without liking them. I got a whole bunch of people in my life I don't like. Um, but it's different than agape. God agape us, so we ought to agape one another, which means that despite circumstances, despite feelings, we actually choose love. And this isn't just like a romantic comedy type of love. It's love defined by Jesus, which is a self-sacrificial type of love where we would choose to suffer for the well-being of another. I think that's a type of love that our world is incredibly hungry for. And it's the way that God loves us, and it's the way that God calls us to love him by loving one another. So John continues, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and him in us, he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify what the Father sent his son to be the savior of the world. So so here, I just... Just so you see, there's, a, there's the Trinity, the, the triune relationship, the plurality of God that John is even referring to here. We have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. These three persons of God who are unique but yet one, working together. All who declare that, sorry, all who declare that to be the Savior of the world. sorry, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. And this word trust is the Greek word pistis, which is the word faith. Same word. The idea of faith is to trust. We put our trust in his love. And then John goes on and says again, for the second time, what does it say? God is love. That's his essence. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. God is love. We don't need to be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face the God of creation, God Almighty, with confidence because of his love and because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. This word expels, perfect love expels all fear. It's the the same word we get exorcism from. And so this is a graphic picture that, that, that when God's agape love shows up, he exercises fear out. When perfect love shows up, he does an exorcism that casts out fear. And this, the word fear is where we get the word, is the, is the Greek word phobos, where, where where we get what word from? Phobia. And I got lots of fears. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, you know, one of my main fears is I'm afraid of heights. It's a big deal to me. Um, and so, you know, I can remember at times being at like Camp Evergreen, which is our uh, The camp that we we work with, uh, and they got a climbing wall there at the camp. uh, Or I've been to other climbing walls, and uh, they're frightening. Okay, I'll just—they're frightening. Anybody else afraid of heights? Okay, there a few of you guys. They're—they're frightening. First of all, because you got to put on a harness, Uh, and nobody wants to see that. And so every time. Every every time I put on a on a harness, I'm I'm first afraid of uh, of being the object of other everybody, but everybody's ridicule, right? And it's not like you just put on a harness. You put on a harness and then you go above people's heads to give them a vertical view of whatever it is that they see. Uh, so it's a very it's a very scary, vulnerable experience to go up a climbing wall. Uh, and then you throw the fear of heights on top of that, and and it's just it's it's not my it's not my idea of a good time. Uh, but I, I remember the fir- first time I actually went on a climbing wall a long time ago, and I'm like, I'm just like shaking and sweating, and and you get up, and, and that's one thing, but the coming down, I think, almost becomes the scariest moment where you have to decide to put your faith in the harness. I mean, if you're afraid of heights, uh, that is, uh, that's terrifying. You actually have to let go of the wall. You've seen those people that try and like put their faith in the harness and they're still hanging onto the wall and they just like keep smacking the wall because they won't let go of the wall. Uh, You know, that was like me. Uh, Because you actually have to let go completely and trust that harness is going to hold you. Now if you remember back to verse 15, it says, uh, it talks about trusting God's love. Having faith in God's love. Trusting God's love is like being willing to put your whole weight into it and trust that it's enough. Trust that it's enough to hold you. Trust that you don't have to earn it. Trust that you know, all the other things in your life that you wish you could fix and have problems with, trust that God is enough. Even if other people don't like you, if other people don't love you, if other people hate you, if other people spew things on you and at you, trusting that God is love and that that is enough. First John says when we trust that, It expels out fear. That perfect love expels out fear. And so, as we look at 1 John as a whole, we can summarize these few things. First, that God's essence is love. What God is and always was before and and apart from anything or anyone else. That is his essence. It's who he is. You know, that love expresses itself, yeah, in judgment, it expresses itself in holiness, it expresses itself in mercy, it expresses itself in forgiveness, it expresses itself in so many ways, but his essence, who he is, before the, anything was created, was love. Second, nothing in God or from God is any, in any way incompatible with love. There's no part of God that is incompatible with love. There's no apathy or indifference in God. And everything God thinks, feels, says, and does is an expression of his love. And so uh, we don't try and balance love among a whole bunch of other attributes. We say, you know, God's essence is this, and it expresses itself in in a variety of ways because God is love. Third, God's love cannot be diminished in even the slightest way. You know, God's love tank doesn't go empty and need filling. Have you ever experienced a low love tank have you ever experienced a low love take from somebody else? Right, you're like, oh, they, they, they don't have any love left in their tank. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just hard. Uh, you know, we as human beings, we, we, our love tank decreases. Our capacity to love others decreases. You act or react in an unloving way. If God is, if love is who God is, it cannot be diminished because that's who He is. He doesn't have less love for you because he is tired or it's a bad day. He doesn't have less love for you because he loves everybody, and so that means he's got to divide his love among everybody. No, God is love, and so there cannot be less of it. It's who he is. Uh, four, uh, Jesus is love incarnate, love in history, pure love walking and talking. This cannot be said of anyone else. There is no higher reality to read, teach, talk, sing, or meditate about than God seen in Jesus. Lots of people might say, I believe that God is love. People that aren't Christians might say, I believe that God is love. I like the idea that God is love. But Christianity or Christians are the only ones that can proclaim that based on any evidence. It's important because it's critical that we understand that if God is love and I fully in Jesus, that means that we can't just tack on whatever we define love to be. You see the difference? To believe that God is love without having a definition of what love is means that we could define the word love and project that onto God. And then we make God in our image, instead of letting him make him make us in his. So God, just believing God is love doesn't quite get us there. Uh, we, I think we live in a time where, where people like the idea, but they define love based on what they like or what they feel. But God defines what love is and then shows us that in the person of Jesus. And we can say with confidence that Jesus is love incarnate, and that defines agape for us. Jesus is the full expression, the image of God. Uh, five, if we trust Christ, love and not fear should motivate us. Think about how often we react out of fear. If you turn on social media for five minutes, you see fear as a primary motivating factor, fear of what is going on in the world, fear of what's going to happen to us, fear of not being accepted or not belonging, or not being loved. You can tell, you know, people are posting because they're looking for attention. Uh, we were created to be loved, and so that makes sense, uh, but we're operating from a fear of not being loved. I remember when selfies were first introduced. Can, can anybody remember this? We don't think about this very often anymore, but I remember when selfies were first introduced, right, which is taking a picture of yourself, uh, and it just seemed like the most ridiculous idea to me. Uh, I mean, the people would actually, you know, back in the day, if you are a photographer, you are behind the camera taking pictures of other people, other things, uh, and the selfie uh, movement has made us both photographer and object of the picture. And when, when it first started, I'm like, those ridiculous people. Look how highly they think of themselves. They post pictures of themselves and, ex- and want other people to like the pictures they posted of themselves. It's like, this is really weird. And then soon enough, like a year into it, I'm like... Taking selfies, <laughs> posting pictures of myself, but but just step back from like we 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 consider this normal now. But just step step back from it from it a second, and think about the the psychology behind that. That we we have this need to be seen. We have this need to be experienced. Uh, you know, I have a social media app, uh, not quite as common as like Instagram, but. You know, if if you're a runner, if you're a a, a cyclist, you'll know it. It, It's Strava, right? And so it just it it tracks your rides, and then you can see other people's rides, and you can you know give kudos or thumbs up to other other people, and it's like social media for uh, for people that uh, like to run and bike and stuff. And I've heard the phrase so many times uh, when I'm riding with other people. It's like, oh, I almost didn't turn Strava on. This ride wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have turned that on. But that's the concept. This ride wouldn't have happened if other people didn't see it happen. You see the same concept with food. You know, people go to a restaurant or a concert. They take a picture. They take a picture of themselves and their food. This meal wouldn't have happened unless other people see that it happened. Do You see that there's like an underlying fear that just is, is motivating us because I wonder if we truly believe that we're seen, that we belong, that we're loved apart from anybody else seeing us. You know, if we truly believe that God is love, that God sees us, and that we belong with God and that He is enough, you know, I wonder if we would uh, be less inclined to look for a thumbs up and, and validation from other people who may or, not e- may or may not even like you. I think we're motivated by fear more than we think we are. Perfect love, perfect agape, when we actually realize the life changing truth that God is love, changes it and expels fear, it casts it out. Sixth, our starting point from loving God well is learning from Jesus how to love others like God loves us. We love the idea of separating our faith from how we act. It kind of lets us off the hook. But God and the scriptures uh, say that we cannot do that. You know, in, in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus talks about loving the least of these and the whole concept in that passage, a long passage, so I, I won't break it down now, but it's basically saying you only love God as much as you love the least of these. And you want a real sobering exercise. You think of the person that you love the least and take that to heart and think about the idea that I only love God as much as the person that I love the least. And so we need to be transformed by the agape love of God, the self-sacrificial love, and then learn to actually express that love towards other humans. Uh, When you came in, uh, many of you would have received a communion cup. Uh, If you missed the boat, too bad for you. No, uh, if you missed the boat, uh, we're actually going to take communion at the end of the, the closing song. Uh, And so I'll come back up after a closing song. uh, And there's a table at the back on the side uh, that has the communion cup, which includes your little wafer and the juice. Uh, And so you can make your way back during our worship time and grab a cup if you missed it. Uh, And then when I come back up after the final song, we'll take it together. Uh, But I would invite you to consider um, to examine yourself. You know, Paul talks about this in the New Testament. Uh, to examine yourself before you take the the bread which represents the body of Christ the blood which represents or the juice which re- represents the blood of Christ to examine yourself because to actually believe that God is love and to receive his love we must be willing to actually love and forgive others Uh, And so maybe you have unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe uh, you're actually struggling to receive God's love because you're not willing yet to give it away to other people in a self-sacrificial way. Is there anybody uh, that God is actually calling you to a level of agape love that you haven't loved that way? So I'd invite you to evaluate that, to ponder that as we think about the agape love of God who comes to us Comes to us for, we, for us to receive Him. I want you to stand and let's worship together. So if I were to say to you the words, I'll be back. What do you think of? You think of Arnold Schwarzenegger in an Austrian accent, and there's connotations to that phrase, I'll be back, and and the words mean I'll be back with vengeance. I'm going to make you pay. Now, Arnie wasn't the first guy to say those words. In fact, Jesus said those words 2,000 years ago. Um, And uh, Jesus said those words knowing he was going to be betrayed. Uh, knowing that he was going to be beaten, knowing that he was going to be bruised, insulted, that that his closest friends were going to abandon him. He was going to hang alone on a cross and suffer a criminal's death through a a uh, tormenting crucifixion. And he said, before that happened, I'll be back. And in the worldly sense, we would think, okay, if that happened to me and I came back, I'm going to be coming back with vengeance. Somebody's going to pay and Jesus did come back. He was resurrected three days later and came back and the first words he, he spoke were, peace be with you. Because God is love. That even after crucifixion, God comes back and he comes back with forgiveness on his lips. Now Jesus said, I'll be back again after that moment and he said, I'm going to have a, there's a second time I'm going to come back, and between now and then, I want you to every time you come together and eat this meal together, this bread and this wine, I want you to remember. Uh, I want you to remember my bro- my body that is broken for you, that represents this agape, self 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 sacrificial love for you. I want you to, as you drink the wine, to remember my blood that's spilled for you, which represents this covenant, this type of relationship that was purchased, that was bought with a price, the price of my own blood. But there's implications. To eat this bread, to drink this juice, is actually to declare that Jesus is Lord, those three words, is also declare that God is love. And that declaration comes with the responsibility that if God is love and I'm in a loving relationship with God, by nature of that, I live in a loving relationship, an agape relationship with others so if you are in a place this morning maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time uh, to actually receive the agape love of God to declare with your lips that Jesus is Lord to declare and to receive that God has forgiven you because he loves you but that relationship does come with responsibility to love him and love others back if you are in a place to receive that forgiveness and live that out this morning I would invite you uh, to take this time uh, to take communion. So if you rip off the top of that little cup, you'll see a very tasty wafer uh, that is there. And this, this wafer represents the body of Christ, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of him. cup, represents the blood of Christ, which is spilt for you, represents the covenant he has with you, a covenant that he's willing to keep even at the expense of himself. If you would respond and receive that, uh, please take this in remembrance of him. After the service, um, we'll have prayer teams that are available uh, at the front, uh, by the stage. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Um, Online, if if you're joining us online and would like to receive prayer, you can just email prayer at sunwestchurch.com and that would uh, go to our prayer uh, leader who can uh, organize our prayer teams to pray for you as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you sent your only begotten Son you sent him as a sacrifice for our sins, for the way that we have turned our backs on covenant with you, the way that we have decided to be Lord of our own lives. And Lord, we thank you for that you are agape in nature, that that is who you are, that you are loving, that you're so loving, in fact, that you actually sent your son to die this death on a cross so that we could walk in forgiveness and relationship with you. And so, Lord, we remember that this morning, your blood spilt, your body broken, demonstrating to us, Lord, that you truly are love. And, Lord, may we be your agape presence in this world, loving others even when it's difficult, even when it comes at an expense to ourselves. May we live like Jesus because we received the love of Jesus. In your name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Again, prayer teams are available. Have a blessed week. Uh, We'll see you next week.